Find me in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, uh, we got the pens on the outside. If we could start to put the pens, uh, if we could start to share those pens, here's your sermon notes. Love, want to encourage you, want to challenge you to go ahead and take notes as we dig into God's word. I guarantee it's going to help your small group time. Uh, so yeah, go ahead and take those notes. Hey, HSM, before we jump in, I just got to say one last thing. How many of you, how many of you were here last week for our crisis night where Paul talked about his journey with homosexuality? Was anyone here for that? That was amazing. But HSM, let me share something with you. As your pastor, as your pastor, I was so proud of you. Like I was deeply moved that when he finished sharing his story, when he finished sharing his story, you all stood up and gave him a standing ovation and that spoke volumes to me. I mean, that, that told me so much about your heart and your character and your love and your grace over people. And so HSM, good job. That was amazing. That was awesome. All right, Matthew, yeah, give it up for HSM. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. All right, Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five, the question that we are gonna begin this brand new series in called The Revolutionary Way. We're gonna be in this series for the next like five months and literally all we're talking about is three chapters in the Bible. We're talking about Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter seven, where Jesus goes on this rant and homie goes crazy. I mean, literally no stopping, no pausing, no water breaks, no potty breaks. He is going, he's spitting fire and he's preaching like crazy. And so we're going to study every single word of this sermon because here's what I know. I know that Jesus, that Jesus started a revolution. He started a movement. He started something that continues to work its way throughout culture, throughout the world. Now, a movement and a revolution that he wants to invite every single one of us to be a part of. And so in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he explains what this revolution is all about, what it looks like to be a part of this revolution, what it means, what it's going to cost us, what the benefits are. But the question I want to open up with is this, do you have what it takes? When you think about that tonight, do, do you have what it takes to be a part of this revolution that Jesus is starting? And I think as we look at these, these statements that Jesus is going to give us, he's going to give us about eight statements of what it looks like to be in the kingdom, I think they set up for us the answer to that question, do we have what it takes? And I bet you've asked that question before. I bet when you were, for some of you seniors, do we have any seniors in the house? Any seniors here? Whoop, whoop. All right, I guarantee that when you were logging on and all of a sudden you're filling out the application for Harvard, you're like, do I have what it takes? I don't know, right? And you're kind of filling out a little essay. Or maybe some of you have started a brand new job. Where's Hosea? Where's my boy Hosea? Hosea, I'm just gonna say it. Hosea just got a job at McDonald's. Let's get up for Hosea, that's pretty real. Hosea's the man. Now, now, Hosea dresses up and mm, I'm loving it, right? Like I'm, I'm all about McDonald's. It's my favorite restaurant. It is my favorite restaurant, I'm not kidding. Hosea walks in, Hosea walks into his very first day at McDonald's and I guarantee he's asking the question, do I have what it takes, right? Do I have what it takes? Maybe some of you just entered a relationship some of you entered a relationship and you're, you're asking yourself, man, do I have what it takes to be in this relationship? And maybe some of you, maybe some of you, as you've kind of been checking out Jesus, maybe you've been following him for a while, you're learning more about him, you're growing. Maybe you've even asked this question, do I have what it takes to follow Jesus? Am I ready for this? What does it take? Charlie and I have this, uh, this man chant. 
okay? That we say almost every single day. We've been saying it for like a year and, and every time like I'm about to leave the house or he like wakes up from a nap, like sometimes he'll wake up, if you've been to my house, like his bedroom is right here and I pull out of the driveway and I'm about to leave and sometimes he'll wake up, he'll hear me leaving and he'll bang on the window and we'll look at each other and we say this man chant to each other and this man chant is so significant for us and it goes like this. We look at each other and we go, we are men, we are brave, we are strong, we serve and we love, right? That's what we say, we say this mansion. And then here's the best part, here's the best part. Brinley, Brinley, my two and a half year old daughter, she loves the man chant so much that we have a woman chant now and it's the same thing. So we just stand there and we go, we are woman, but I'm not woman. But we just go, she says that part. We are brave, we are strong, we serve and we love. And with Charlie specifically, I say these to him over and over again. We're talking about this all the time and, and he'll be up in his room and he'll knock on his window and, and he'll wave by to me and I can't hear him at all, but then he'll go like this. He'll hold out his thumb and I know what we're about to do and he'll go, we are bad. We are brave. We are strong. We serve. We love. And he's just like yelling it. And I'm in my car and I'm like, yeah, like we're doing it, right? Because for us, for us, this is the beginning of our conversation of what it means to be a man after God's own heart. What does it mean to be, to be brave, to be strong, to serve, to love? I'm, to, we're trying to kind of talk through some of these things. And so I'm trying to tell him and have this conversation with him about what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? Well, you should be asking the question as we're beginning this series and as Jesus is gonna open up what it means to follow him, do you have what it takes? And so I love in Matthew chapter five, Jesus Jesus is starting a revolution, and this is crazy, but I guarantee you, what it takes, what it takes to follow Jesus is so radically different from what we think it takes. That, that what it takes to actually follow Jesus looks so different from what it takes to start any other kind of revolution. Let me catch us up to speed. In Matthew chapter one, the genealogy of Jesus is shared. And so it shows that Jesus is connected to Abraham, that he's connected to the line of David. What, what Matthew, the gospel writer, is trying to say is that Jesus is a really big deal and he's the guy that we've been talking about for a really long time. This Messiah that we've been waiting for for a really long time, Jesus is the guy. And then in Matthew chapter two, three, and four, we see Jesus, he's born. And he has to flee and this guy Herod wants to kill him but he gets out of town and so he goes and he kind of is off with his parents and then he starts to grow up and then there's this moment where Jesus gets baptized. And as he's baptized, and this is really significant, before he starts any ministry, when Jesus is baptized, he comes out of the water and it says a voice from heaven splits open the clouds and says something. And it's the voice of God speaking over Jesus. And the father says this, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And this is before Jesus does anything, before he heals, before he teaches, before he's ever up to any good, before he dies on a cross and rises from the dead, the father looks at him and says, everybody's gotta know and you need to know, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And then Jesus goes off into the desert and he's tempted. He's in the desert for 40 days and he doesn't have anything to eat. And Satan comes to him and tries to mess him up. Tries to get him to submit to Satan, follow Satan instead of following the, the vision that God has for his life and, and he resists the devil. 
Well, then Jesus calls a few people to follow him who definitely, definitely don't have revolution written on them. And he does some healing. And then Matthew chapter five, find me in verse one. It says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So picture this. There's a big mountainside and so many people are coming out to Jesus because since they've been talking about him being the Messiah, since he's doing these powerful healings and something is going on, they believe that Jesus is gonna start a revolution. They believe that Jesus is gonna finally, is gonna finally take Rome out of power and put Israel back in power. And so there is a lot of expectation. There is a lot of hope. There is a lot of desires that Jesus would become this powerful military leader, that his revolution would wipe out the Romans. There was even this group um, of Jews called the Zealots. And the Zealots believed that the way to overcome Rome was to actually kill them. And so there were even some Zealots around who were going, man, we're gonna get to slaughter some Romans today. And they're all anticipating, all expecting that Jesus is about to say something. And he's gonna start this revolution that's gonna lead to the overthrow of Rome. And there will be violence and there will be bloodshed. But finally, Israel will be back in power again. And so Jesus, he's got the crowds. And then he's got his few disciples. And he begins to teach them. What's interesting, the word them right there lets us know that he's actually talking to the disciples. But then at the end of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, 28, it says that the crowds were so amazed at his teaching because this guy had authority. And so what I love about when Jesus preaches and when Jesus teaches is that he has a way of speaking to disciples and he has a way of speaking to the crowd. And I love that because that's, that's us tonight, Right? Like there's some of you here, and I just am so incredibly stoked you're here. There's some of you here who following Jesus is, is not what you're up to right now. That you don't really have an interest in following Jesus right now. Maybe you're kind of in, maybe you're, you're part of the crowd, but you haven't really given yourself to this. Can I just let you know, you're welcome here. Because when Jesus spoke, when Jesus taught, he taught to groups of people who were still trying to figure it out. And if you're on that journey, that's awesome. But at the same time, there was this group of people who they said, Jesus, we're gonna live and die for you. That Jesus, you're everything to us. And then there's some of you here in this room who, who you're so passionate about Jesus. He has every part of you. Well, Jesus likes to teach you too and he has something that he wants to say to you. And so in the presence of the crowd and in the presence of the disciples, the first sermon Jesus ever gives begins like this. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God, and blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, he begins this message and it 
doesn't feel as powerful as the people had hoped. That they're, they're waiting there and they're going, okay, what does it take? How are we going to overcome Rome? How are we going to defeat this whole thing? How are we going to become in power again? And Jesus says, I'm actually building a different kind of kingdom. And we're starting an entirely different kind of revolution. And so the question as we jump into each of these blessed groups is, are you okay with your picture of following Jesus changing to look a little bit more like the picture Jesus paints? Then maybe your picture of what it means to follow Jesus is one image. Tonight, I think Jesus wants to say something a little bit different to you. He may want to challenge you, and I think he wants to maybe change that picture for you. Additionally, these eight sort of groups, these eight blessed groups that Jesus talked about, these are not things that we earn, but these are things that are developed by the Holy Spirit. So these are things that we, as we pray and we say, Jesus, would you, as Pastor Jarrett says, would you take over more real estate in my heart? Would you work in me in a powerful way? These are things that the Holy Spirit begins to do. This is the work that he does in your heart. And this is what the kingdom people, this is what the people of God begin to look like. And these are the people that Jesus chooses to change the world with. Think about it. Rome and Israel and some of these other nations, not quite as big and powerful as the movement of Jesus. And so when, when, when we open this and when we begin to look at each one of these, I want you to think about, is this true in my life? Am I this kind of person? And what would it look like for the Holy Spirit to make me more into this kind of person? Because this is the kind of person that Jesus uses to change the world. And I know you wanna change the world and I wanna change the world. But I oftentimes am like the crowd sitting there going, man, I have my own ideas of what it means to change the world. I've got to be perfect. I've got to have my act together. I've got to know exactly what's going on. I can't show any kind of weakness. I've got to be the, the king of my own religiosity. And Jesus says, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to use you to change the world, but I want to first shape you into this kind of person. So find me in verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does this mean? Poor in spirit is, is a phrase to mean a group of people who are dependent on divine resources. If you look up this word in the original language, you kind of begin to define it. Poor in spirit means people who are dependent on divine resources. Think about what Jesus is saying. Well, he's like blessed. And what does that word mean? It means, it means favored. It means, it means full of possibility. It means, it means joyful. It means person that God is gonna use in a powerful way. Jesus says the, the, those kind of people are poor in spirit. Meaning these kind of people, the kind of people who change the world recognize from the very get-go that they are so utterly dependent on God. I mean, just think about that for a second. All, all of us want to change the world. We all have dreams. We all have passions. But the very first kind of thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us to become the kind of people who change the world is to make us into the kind of people who say, I am nothing without God. I am empty without God. I am broken without God. I am, I am spiritually bankrupt. I'm spiritually poor. You know what I love about this? God doesn't look at your bank account and decide whether you're worthy of being used. 
God doesn't look at what luxuries you have in life and decide whether you're being used. God doesn't look at the kind of neighborhood you grew up in or the kind of family that you came from and make a decision on whether he wants to use you or not. In fact, the kind of person that God uses, the kind of person who is so honest and real about their brokenness and saying, I don't come from the best family. I do struggle in this area. I am actually totally dependent on God. It is that person that Jesus says, oh, you're ready for the revolution. Oh, you're the kind of person, you're the kind of person we're gonna start a revolution with. And then it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Just think about that juxtaposition. You've got somebody poor in spirit, somebody who realizes they are totally empty apart from God, somebody who realizes that when the scriptures literally say that God gives you life and breath, that every single breath you've just taken in has been a gift from God. When you recognize that, you realize that you have been given the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that crazy? This isn't a kingdom that you've earned. This isn't a kingdom that, that because of your good works has, has been brought to you. No, this is a kingdom that because you are poor in spirit has been given to you. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. What is Jesus saying when he says, blessed are those who mourn? Here's what I think he's saying. I think he's saying, blessed are the people who look in their hearts, who see the devastation of sin, who know the, the, the weight that brokenness and distance from God brings, and they're sad, and it like overwhelms them. Jesus is saying, blessed is the person who isn't prideful about their own sin or who doesn't hide and mask their own sin and pretend that they have nothing going on, no kind of brokenness, no issues. And it's the person who looks out at the world and who sees brokenness and instead of becoming judgy, like really judgy, is the kind of person who says, man, my heart is breaking. You see, if any of you have lost somebody or you've changed schools or you've moved to a new area and, and, and you've experienced some kind of sadness. You know that mourning is a very emotional experience, right? It, it's, it's not just something that happens up here, it's something that happens, deep, that happens deep in your heart and you feel it. I, I wanna ask us, does, does our sin and our brokenness, the ways that we don't follow God, the ways where we say, God, I'll take it from here, that the things that, that we continue to do, do those break our hearts? And then even more so, maybe some of us as Christians, man, we're so good at being judgmental. And we get an A plus in it, like every final, right? We're pros at being judgmental. But Jesus says, man, the kind of, the kind of revolution I'm starting begins with revolutionaries who mourn, who look at the brokenness and say, God has to have a better plan than this. God has to want to do something and he'll begin to feel that. And then Jesus promises us that we will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Has anyone, what, what, what word, when you hear the word meek, what's the first word that comes to mind? Timid. Timid? What else? Weak? Did someone say weak? Isn't that what you kind of think? You think meek and you think weak, right? Those words actually couldn't be farther apart from each other. Meekness, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Did you catch that? Meekness, being meek, 
Being meek does not mean that you are a weak person. Being meek means that you have strength, but it is under control. Jesus said, blessed, blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Can you think of the last time that maybe someone said something to you as a parent or a friend? And and if they had chosen to use their strength under control, how that would have changed the atmosphere? You know, we we think about like, like, like the most powerful thing, right? If somebody punches me in the face, what's like the strongest response? What's like the biggest thing I could do back? Punch him back. But let me ask you this question. What's, what, what exhibits more strength? Punching someone back who punches you or having the ability to restrain that? I would argue, I would argue that having the ability that when somebody hits you and everything in yourself says, I want to hit back, to choose to be meek, which is to exhibit strength under control is actually way more powerful than hitting back. And Jesus says, hey, we're starting a revolution, but it's full of meek people. People who, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, have strength and fire and passion, but know when to use it. Know when to let it out. At school, are you known as a hothead? In your family, do do people around you walk on eggshells because they're nervous? You see, somebody who's meek, somebody who's meek, may have a lot of strength, but they know how to control it. Let's continue. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is another great example. Hungering and thirsting, that's not something that happens right up here, right? I mean, that's something at like a gut level. Is there anybody else who likes to eat? Is anyone else like me that you're just, you're even thinking about the next meal, right? Like I will eat a, I will eat an all-you-can-eat buff, like sushi buffet and halfway through I'm already thinking about what's coming for dinner. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm absolutely there. Because hungering and thirsting is something that I actually love. It's something that I enjoy. I enjoy thinking about what this next meal is gonna be. I wanna ask you a question. What are you deep in your heart? What are you hungering and thirsting for? And will the thing that you're hungering and thirsting for ultimately satisfy you? Man, as students, if you answered this question, if you could, could, could wrestle with this and, and if you open your heart in a way where the Holy Spirit could get in you and change your desires to change what you actually hunger and thirst after, that would be a game changer in your life. Students, I want you to be honest with yourselves right now. What are you hungering and thirsting after? What's that thing that when you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing you think about? Food. <laughs> Praise God. Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts or McDonald's breakfast. <laughs> what up? <laughs> what are you hungering and thirsting for? Think about this at a deep level, at a deep level, and then let me ask you this question. Is that thing, that girl, that boy, that drug, that party, that grade, that school, that whatever, will it ultimately satisfy you? Jesus says this. The kind of revolution I'm building is on the backs of people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness and justice are the exact same word in the New Testament. Righteousness means to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. 
You see, this is not, this is not a, this, Jesus is not saying, man, my people hunger and thirst to become judgmental over others. No, no, he's saying, my people hunger and thirst to see a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. Do you wake up in the morning, you're going, man, how can I, how can I continue to connect in a relationship with God and how can I make sure that I'm in right relationships with others? And when you look out at the world and you see injustices in the world, are you critical? We talked about this before. Jesus does not call his disciples, this is next week's sermon, Jesus does not call his disciples to be critical of the world. He calls his disciples to be critical to the world. Did you catch that? Your job as followers of Jesus is not to be critical of the world. Anybody can do that. If you want to be a part of his revolution, you become critical to the world, meaning the world looks at you and goes, I am empty and broken. You have something. I need that. You see, the followers of Jesus who start this revolution and who are about this revolution, they go, man, I'm hungering and thirsting for a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others for myself and for everyone else. Man, okay, let me just challenge you for a second. Is the way you're living helping others connect with God? Is the way you're living building relationships with others or breaking relationships with others? Because people of Jesus' kingdom, they hunger and they thirst to see things made right. Do you hunger and thirst to see things made right or are you hungering and thirsting for the next line of gossip or the next party or the next fix or the next hookup or do you hunger and do you thirst and maybe you just go, man, I'm kind of like, I'm on a kale diet. Like I'm not like hungering and thirsting. I'm just kind of eating it a little bit. No, that, that is from Satan. Nobody should be on a kale diet. That's the worst idea ever. Like hunger and thirst for right relationship with God and right relationship with others. Let's keep going. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. As I was studying this word, I was thinking about mercy. Mercy, sometimes we think about this word as meaning somebody does something bad to us and we're like kind to them, right? Somebody messes up with us, they say something to us, and, and, and we're kind to them. Mercy is more active than that. Mercy actually pursues people. Mercy is, is, is an active way that God loves on us. Think about Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. It says that because God is rich in mercy, he made us alive and he died for us even while we were still in our transgressions. You see, when God uses the word mercy, it's not you wait here as a judgy person and all of a sudden that, that friend, that, somebody said something to you and they come to you and you go, fine, I'll forgive you. That's not what he's talking about. True mercy, people who show mercy are people who wake up and go, who can I forgive today? Who can I love today? Who can I let go of this baggage with today? Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 23 he is on the cross, nailed to a frickin' cross. And he's up there, and he's bleeding, and he's been tortured, and he's in agony. 
and he looks out at the people who literally put him there. And we've talked about this before. The cross is at eye level. The cross is not some glorified thing that people would have stared up to. No, no, the cross was meant to humiliate. So the cross is at eye level. Jesus is looking into the eyes of the people who have done this to him. And in Luke chapter 23, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Are you that kind of person? Because you know that your God is that kind of person to you. Has the Holy Spirit gotten in you in such a way where you look at people who hurt you and, 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 and your old self would have held on to it. Your old self would have been so angry. But because you're going, are you kidding me? God loves me. I'm poor in spirit and he is crazy in love with me. I can't help but forgive you. I mean, if Jesus on a cross can look out and say, Father, forgive them, then when we find out about a friend gossiping, we have got to be the kinds of people who by the Holy Spirit look out and say, hey, this really hurt my feelings, but God has forgiven me of so much. I'm like really poor in spirit, and so I forgive you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I love this one. This, this idea of purity It's something that only God can do. If you think about the Old Testament, when, when, the people would, um, when the people were unclean for whatever reasons and they were gonna become, they would need to be clean in order to enter the sanctuary, in order to enter into the presence of God, it was God who made them pure. And I think this word, especially for us, is so necessary. That we, we, we gotta become people. We fill our minds and our hearts with so much junk. And God is looking at us, he's going, man, the pure in heart, the ones who allow me to purify them, they will see God. And I was thinking as I was preparing this sermon, there's some of you who, who you bear scars on your body. And maybe they're physical scars or maybe they're emotional scars. Then maybe you slept with that guy for, for, for a long time and all of a sudden he's gone now. And you're, you're filled with this this feeling of disconnect and, and, and you feel used. Then maybe you just can't get over this habit of pornography and, and the things that happen because of that, man, you're just, you just feel impure, you feel unclean. You just feel dirty. You know what I love about this passage? You know what I love about this idea? Is that God has the ability to actually make your heart pure. That God has the ability to take somebody who's, who's hard-hearted because of the world, who, who, who has collected a number of scars, who has been dealt a really tough deck. He has the ability to make your heart pure. And when he makes your heart pure, you begin to see God. I've seen him do this over and over and over again in people's lives. And so I don't know how far you are from God right now. I don't know, I don't know what, what scars you carry. But God can make broken people, he can make them pure. Just two more. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers. Peacemakers, again, they, they go around and they say, okay, how can I be a part of making peace where there is tension? I wonder at your schools or in your family, where is there tension? Where does there need to be reconciliation? Maybe it's racial reconciliation. Maybe it's reconciliation with somebody on a team. It's reconciliation with an old friend. You see, the people that are a part of the revolution Jesus is starting 
are people who wake up and go, my job is to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper just wants to make everyone happy, right? A peacemaker goes into situations where there is tension and there is disconnect and there is brokenness and says, I want to help make things better. Are you doing that in your friendships right now? Are you doing that at home? And last one, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you are going to follow Jesus, expect to be persecuted. Just gotta expect this. This isn't a get-rich scheme. This isn't a pyramid scheme. That if you intend to actually follow Jesus and become these kinds of people, there will be people in the world who love it and there will be people who hate it. And you will be persecuted, but your job is not to attack back, seek revenge, or to run away, but to be joyful and to be glad. Because when they persecute you, when they persecute you, they're doing what they've always done to the prophets before. This this is how the revolution begins. It's not through money or might or military. It's not through defeating and destroying and killing people. No, no, no. The revolution begins with people who say, Holy Spirit, make me into this kind of person. And this kind of person God uses to change the world. Would you close your eyes? Heavenly Father, Father,